0: Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the central New York airwaves. It's fizz
1: radio. It's fizz radio here on the score 1260. Ian Unsworth and John Eads with you today, taking you all the way up till 10 o'clock. Remember to check out our website, orangefizz.net, for all the latest Syracuse recruiting news and coverage, and also follow us on Twitter, at orangefizz where we're keeping you locked with all the latest updates. So, John, big week, maybe not the week we expected for Syracuse sports, as the women's lacrosse team topples in the national championship game. A famous, famous basketball coach headed to retirement after this year. And also, of course, we'll have our Fizz 5-star review, checking out the latest on the top prospects Syracuse has to keep an eye on. But let's start with Coach K. The big news coming out on Wednesday, Mike Krzyzewski, after 41 seasons at Duke, the winningest coach in D1 basketball history, led the Blue Devils to five national championships in four different decades, is retiring after the 2021-22 season.
0: Yeah, I didn't really see this one coming, you know, I was kind of just scrolling through Twitter yesterday, you know, just bored and, oh, Coach K's retiring on Wednesday, June 2nd, middle of the day. Kind of random, kind of like Roy Williams, North Carolina's head coach, who retired, what, a couple of months ago by now. Um, so random, unexpected I think from everybody, but I'm glad he's at least playing one more season next year instead of, you know, ending it right now. I think uh the the way the the way that 2020 ended, he has a bitter taste in his mouth. He wants a revenge tour, quote unquote. So, um it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out next season.
1: Yeah, Coach K put out a statement saying he views today, well, making that Wednesday as a celebration Uh, His time at West Point and Duke has been amazing. Uh, Also with the U.S. men's national team, Uh, he's been blessed to coach some of the finest young men and greatest players in basketball history. And Coach K, now stepping down, will leave the throne to Duke associate head coach John Shire, who played for K for four years in 2006 to 2010, and he's officially the successor. The athletic department pretty much figured that out immediately after. But let's let's sort of circle back here to the important thing Coach K has one more year to go against Bayheim in the dome and it's one more year for Syracuse to finally get its licks off against Duke because it seems like every year at least for the past couple of years Syracuse has been getting shorted against the Blue Devils ever since that block charge call back in 2016.
0: Yeah, I mean, they could really use a win, and they'll have two opportunities, right? One inside Cameron Indoor, and then one back in the carry Dome. Unlike some years, they only get one game against the Blue Devils, so next year we'll have two, and, uh, you know, Coach Behan would surely love to send off his old friend with a loss in one of those two games, hopefully at the carry Dome. I'm sure that place is going to be absolutely packed and bumping in the fall, but with this news, we we should probably transition to, I guess, the inevitable question here. With Williams gone and Coach K gone, when do you think Beheim finally pulls the trigger on that retirement? Because in the past, you know, I thought we thought uh, six, seven years ago when he named Mike Hopkins the head coach in waiting, kind of like they're doing right now with Coach K and his former player. Uh, we thought maybe he would step down and move on to greener pastures then, but is this maybe the time in the next couple of years now that these two other guys are
1: stepping out? If Buddy's still here, it might not be the time. And uh, the father-son dynamic has a lot to do with whether Beheim stays or goes, Coach Williams and Coach K, Williams said it explicitly, K not so much, but the, the rumblings have been there, that both of these guys are not accustomed to sort of the new way that recruiting is happening. And both North Carolina and Duke have had teams in the past couple of years that have struggled. Coach Williams had a ton of talent this year, lost in the first round of the NCAA tournament last year. North Carolina was a bottom feeder in the ACC. Same thing with Coach K, plenty of talent this year, struggles with Jalen Johnson being on and off the floor. He leaves the team, and Duke underperforms, doesn't make the tournament, and unfortunately had to bow out in the middle of the ACC tournament after a positive COVID test. It looked like the Blue Devils were streaking there for a second, but Overall, I think Williams and Kay are leaving basketball because, one, first of all, they've both had great careers. Let's definitely recognize that. But also, at a certain point, it's tiring for these guys to get out on the road every single April, May, June, July, August, and just watch random high school kids play basketball games. Then you also have to cater to them, too. Now you also have to deal with professional leagues, offering guys gobs of cash the recruiting world is rapidly changing, and Coach Williams and Coach K, you can't blame them. They just don't want to have to keep up with it. Yeah, the sport as a whole is so different. Like you think back to 2016.
0: I mean, there was no transfer portal. There wasn't any discussion of high school kids skipping collegiate play to go pro. Uh, you know, the... the, the summer league aau wasn't what it is now i would say especially with the overtime league now and the g league and all that stuff so it is a lot to handle i think Beheim has done well he's i mean dealt with the pandemic right i mean they all did but he specifically dealt with the pandemic and syracuse was one of the teams that was hit pretty hard by that as a whole so i'm with you i think that as long as his sons are at syracuse he'll be there but what what is your time frame perhaps for him and uh what do you think about that maybe potential next coaches
1: I it'd have to be three or four years. I don't think he stays that long, especially with buddy's eligibility ticking up there. Jimmy's only gonna have one year at Syracuse, so if Beheim doesn't leave after his son graduates, making that buddy, I would I would start to really question how beneficial it is for the program to still have him there. I'm not saying that Bayheim's not a great coach, obviously. He's had plenty of legendary years at Syracuse. But at a certain point, new options start to, you start to have to look at stuff in a futuristic manner, right? What are we showing to our recruits now about the program going forward? Are we having a futuristic approach? Are we recruiting guys that fit in a new vision? Is this offense that Syracuse runs? going to be able to keep up with the likes of a North Carolina who puts up 80 points a game on the regular, or a Georgia Tech that runs you up and down the floor. If Syracuse looks for new head coaches, I'd, they have to start internally, just like North Carolina and Duke have done, just to keep that program legacy going. Are you with me? Yeah, I'm with
0: you. And my next, uh, do you think there's any kind of drop off with that, or what do you think are the benefits of hiring internally? Because the Orange tried that before. They they didn't really end up going with it because Bayheim's been the the coach for the past forty plus years, so there really hasn't been any internal hires in terms of upgrades. He's got um, McNamara on on the bench as his assistant, one of his former players. Maybe he's the next guy. What are the benefits of hiring internally as opposed to going external
1: and uh, hiring somebody from the field? Internally, the players are staying in the same exact system. There's nothing new they have to learn. Maybe there's a few small minor tweaks, but there's barely any adjustment for the the current players and the recruits coming in if a new... Guy, Whether it's Adrian Autry, GMAC, um, whoever you can think of, if, if one of the assistant coaches takes over, it's an easy transition. There's no, maybe they get a pay raise, but there's no big contract negotiation that has to occur. It's just very simple. But we did see Mike Hopkins go to Washington, and uh, let's just say the Huskies haven't exactly been great. This past couple of years. And that just slightly worries me. Does it? Because like, maybe it just didn't work out at Washington. But maybe it would have worked he at Syracuse. Talent. But he has talent. He has talent at Washington. He had Isaiah Stewart. Jaden McDaniels. Both first round picks in the NBA draft. Aquad a Green. A guy that should have gone to Syracuse. Went to Kentucky. Now at Washington. like, And these dudes are bottom feeders. In the Pac-12. Which... All right, we know the Pac-12's good now, but like they they were terrible all year, didn't show any signs of life. So I I'm I I don't know. Is is it is it time to look outside of the three one five? Do you, do you have any ideas of people that Syracuse could target from the field? Not I mean, if you want to be
0: super. Uh, you know, if you want to be if you want to be out there, I guess we'll say you could perhaps look at Greg Paulus at Niagara. Maybe Nate Oates wants to come back home. That's always a discussion. Um, but I think Syracuse will hire internally, just like Duke and UNC did, for the reasons that you mentioned—the familiarity with the program and it's a program that's not. Like it, it, the program's working. The Orange made it to the Sweet Sixteen last year. They or they make tournament runs year after year. I mean, people talk a lot in the regular season about struggling in the zone defense and all this and all that. But you know, push comes to shove in the postseason, the Orange are usually contenders, right? And they were once again this year. So I don't think it's a program that needs to be changed. Maybe just a program that needs new energy and new life. And that
1: new energy and new life could come from who replacing whoever steps up to fill Beheim's void in a couple of years with a new assistant i think we've seen that at michigan john where new assistants are brought on say for example like a phil martelli or like a Saudi washington a couple of years back who was the guy the defensive guru for beeline do you remember his name uh Yaklich,
0: Luke Yaklich. Yes, yeah. Luke that guy was Joklitch. great.
1: Yes, Luke Yaklich. Michigan's defense was awful. They bring this guy in from like Southern Illinois and he turns them into one of the best defensive teams in the Big 10. So maybe something like that. I don't think Syracuse's defense needs to change, but I think a bit like a big man coach would really really help. A guy that specifically played the big, the 4 of the 5 in college or the NBA and is now dedicated like what if what is Roni Sycly doing right now? Who who knows? So there, like something like that could always be in the works to you know bring a little energy to to Syracuse, and that's also a great recruiting tool. Having a you know multi year NBA vet on your staff, a guy that's made his name at the pro level, it really gives your program some clout. I
0: think if you're gonna bring an assistant coach in, it has to be an offensive assistant, like an offensive coordinator. Like just bring somebody in that has some kind of offensive. Uh, like, knowledge and and a system because, like, we, you and I say, like, I feel like every week we're on Fizz Radio here that the Orange don't really have a system offensively. It's kind of just do whatever and, you know, score more points than the other team and keep them off the board with his own defense, right? So I think a little more structure offensively with an assistant coach could be good. Now, I don't think that's really going to happen because the Orange don't really make hires like that, right? No one's really left, so they don't really want to necessarily bring anybody in, you know what I mean? So – uh, maybe that's something that Syracuse will look to do when Beheim retires. But while we have him, we're going to enjoy him, right?
1: Absolutely. So John wants a bit more offense. If Beheim steps down in the future, I could use a bit more coaching down low. However, Jim Bayheim right now is still here to stay as his friend and colleague, Coach K, is stepping down after the 2021-22 season. You're listening to Fizz Radio on the Score 1260. On the other side of this break. We're talking lax because the women's lax team almost clinched a national championship. However, they fell to BC in the final. We'll break down the state of both the women's and men's programs coming up here on the Score 1260. Back here on Fizz Radio, Ian Unsworth and Johnny. It's with you until the 10 o'clock hour. Remember, check out our stuff at orangefizz.net and also on Twitter at OrangeFizzJohn. It's been a while since the Fizz staff ventured into the lacrosse world, but it was worth it this season because of all the drama surrounding Syracuse men's lacrosse, and then because of all the success that the Syracuse women's team had. Unfortunately, Gary Gade and company had their season come to a tragic end, losing to Boston College 16-10 to in the national championship.
0: A magical season, a magical run. I think the Syracuse women's lacrosse team was the best-kept secret. I think they're quietly one of the best teams that this athletic program has, if not the best. I would go as far to say that. Uh, Now, you and I were following them pretty closely all season, so we were pretty much tuned in from day one on, on this team. But what fans don't really know about the Syracuse women's lacrosse team is they lost two of their best players to torn ACLs throughout the season and at really crucial points in the season and they still made it to the national championship with a bunch of underclassmen and under experienced players so really it's a miraculous story and if you didn't follow it from day one we have some articles up on the site you could check out but what Gary Gay did with this team is unbelievable and unfortunately for you know circumstances that happened in that championship game against BC which we'll get into the Orange fell just a bit short but a, a tremendous season nonetheless
1: just to sort of give the quick overview, as you mentioned, John, Emily Harris Chuck, potential Tawaraton award winner. Think of that like the Heisman for lacrosse, if you're not very familiar with the game of lacrosse. The Tawaraton is the lacrosse Heisman. Emily Harris Chuck was the front runner, tore her ACL against Stony Brook, and Syracuse is still trucking along. Only one loss to North Carolina, who was undefeated until North Carolina lost to BC in the national semifinal. And then, against Boston College in the regular season, in a Friday night showdown, an excellent game in the dome between BC and Syracuse, Megan Carney goes down in the beginning of the second half. She was Syracuse's leading scorer, tears her ACL. So Syracuse down its two best players, I think most would say makes a miraculous run, makes it to the finals of the ACC tournament, beats BC on the way, drops to North Carolina, and then blazes its way through the NCAA competition until falling to BC in the final. But, John, you you said that Syracuse had some up-and-coming talent, and it really reared its head. Emma Ward, I I saw a couple of your tweets throughout the season, the next great 44 on the Syracuse campus? That's right. Well, they don't have 44 retired on
0: the women's lacrosse team yet, at least. It could be retired after Emma Ward is you know, done with her career at Syracuse. What a freshman season she had. You mentioned Emily Harris-Chuck. She went down, but it gave her an opportunity to step up and get some more playing time as a freshman. She's going to be so good by the time she's a senior, assuming she play. I don't know how it really works with women's lacrosse and going pro, but if she plays four years at Syracuse and just gets better and builds on what she did this year, she's going to be an All-American. She could win the tour to award maybe multiple times when it's all said and done but this season really should have fans excited if you're plugged into Syracuse almost across, should be really excited they've, they came up short again the third different time that Gary Gates taken a team to the national championship and they've fallen but just like BC this year it's like the four falls of Buffalo they
1: eventually get over the hump
0: so I think it's only a matter of time before the Orange win a national championship
1: in that national championship game There were some controversial calls. Now, I wasn't able to catch the first half. I was out on my internship, but I know you did, John. Uh, Can you explain to the people what happened? And eventually, Emma Tyrell got ejected. Tyrell filling in for Megan Carney on the first attack line made a big splash. The younger sister of Megan Tyrell, junior attacker, already a well-versed staple on that Syracuse line. But, John, break it down for me. What the heck happened
0: Right, so 16-10 to 10 was the final scoreline, and this happened on uh, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah, sun- Sunday last week. So if you look at the box score Sunday— um, you know, it reads sixteen to ten, and what you'll see is that Boston College dominated in the second half. It was nine to eight at halftime. They ended up coming out and getting a seven to two scoreline in the second half. And really, I think the big reason why Syracuse lost is because Emma Tyrell only played fifteen minutes out of sixty. She got two yellow cards in the first fifteen minutes of the contest. And in women's lacrosse, if you get two yellow cards in the game at all. You're ejected from the contest, and this happened so early on in the game, and it didn't hurt Syracuse early on. They still found ways to score. They still found ways to be productive offensively. Uh, nine to eight was the score going into the half, right? So it was still super close. But eventually, you're gonna run out of answers. You're gonna run out of ways to score and keep up with the Eagles, and that's really exactly what happened. You also got to tip your cap to the to the Boston College goaltender Rachel Hall. She played a spectacular game. Uh, stopped. Several key chances that could have been goals for the Orange. And uh, I mean, that would be the big, uh, that'd be my biggest reason as to why the game ended up as it did, would be Emma Tyrell's absence.
1: Tyrell went down and Syracuse eventually went down, but plenty of promise for the Syracuse women's lacrosse team going forward. But I want to flip sort of over to the men's team now because there's a lot of questions going into this next season and it starts at the top for the men's squad with John Desco entering his 24th season as the head man. He said he has no plans to step down, but there have been rumblings, and Syracuse might not be in a financial position to go find a new head coach, but with the Scanlan scandal, oh, that's a tongue twister, with just the, the underperformance of the team with so much returning talent, I think there are some fans out in the 315 that are a bit disappointed with Desco. I'm just confused. Like I just don't understand. Like Syracuse beat Virginia,
0: the national champions this year, two different times. Two different times, and the first one was a blowout. The second one wasn't, I mean, it was a two-goal game, but the Orange were control from really start to finish minus a late run. It just doesn't make any sense to me how you can look so good against one opponent and so bad against another, and I understand how big of a role face-offs play in a game and stuff, but that doesn't mean you should be losing by 20 goals to North Carolina and 15 goals to Notre Dame just because of a face-off guy. I've played lacrosse before. I know that face-offs play a big role in a game, but it's not the critical role. Right, so I'm just confused as to how this whole season went. You start out number one, you beat the national champs twice, but you get bounced out of the NCAA tournament in the first round at Georgetown. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just uh,
1: shaking my head over here, scratching my head. And then Georgetown lost to Virginia. It's so strangely, full circle, how that season went. I think Leland Rogers, the defensive coordinator, has to go. Were are you with me on that? At Syracuse's defense looked so bad and it was partially because goalie Drake Porter was, was really off. He had a, he had a terrible fifth season. He did not live up to the hype in any way, shape or form, but at times it it just like like there was a lack of energy on that defensive side started with the miscommunications early on. A lot of penalties too from Syracuse and it, it just fell flat over and over and over again. They couldn't get a stop when it mattered, but also it was just teams pouring it on early and often so much that it didn't matter by the third quarter or by the fourth. Right. No, it seems like inconsistency
0: is kind of the word. There wasn't really a game where you can hang your hat on the defensive performance and be like, wow, we uh, we dominated her. we did. Ev-. You're not going to do everything right in any game ever, right? But w- we were as close to perfect as we could possibly be. Now, I would kind of pump the brakes on the defensive coordinator thing. I, maybe if there's a better coach out there you can go get, I'm all for it. But you got to think of the circumstances they did face this year. Nick Mellon's gone, the All American from last year. You had several in- injuries. Nick DiPietro, uh, Brandon Avila, Damian Laden Moye. Uh, and you had, you know, Cole Horan step in, several new guys, t- Mitch Wyckoff, several new guys stepping into a system, stepping into roles they perhaps weren't ready for and that kind of showed, especially in that Georgetown game and especially down the latter stretch of that season. So, I don't know. I guess I wouldn't be opposed to a coaching change defensively if you're going to do one, but at the same time, if you end up keeping Leland Rogers, I understand because the circumstances were pretty stacked up against him, I would say.
1: Fair, but on the offensive side, there's so much talent gone for Syracuse. Stephen Rafis is off to the law school at, where is he going? He's going to Holy Cross Law? Am I correct on that? Uh,
0: that'd be, if that's what it is, that'd be interesting because remember he started there in
1: college actually, but, um, he's, not, he's, he's not playing lacrosse anymore. He's just going to law school. Can't remember where, but he's, he's going to the PLL and he's p- going to law school. Trimboli, PLL, dearth, PLL. Um, like
0: there's, yeah, there's 10 different Syracuse players on, uh, PLL
1: rosters. I believe I saw. Yep. But they're losing the, the main names in that attacking line and the midfield. Let's combine all those together. So coming back is Tucker Dordovic for finally not his third redshirt sophomore season in a row. Brendan Curry is now the senior on that first midfield line. And then we've got Owen Siebold who showed flashes. Owen Hiltz who really flashes a freshman. But there are still some still some holes to fill. Who do you think fills them?
0: Gosh, I don't know, but we're going to have to find answers, right? A lot of young guns coming in, Joey Spallina, Matteo Corsi, a lot of young recruits coming in. But I did like what I saw from the offense, uh, especially down the stretch. I would say it was an offensive-oriented team. Like, if Syracuse is going to win any games, it was going to be because they scored like 15 plus goals and the defense did just enough to keep them in the game. And that could be the case next year. But like you said, a lot of guys that the orange need to replace and really (laughs) in, I don't have any answers for you on who replaces them right now. And
1: that's probably not a good thing. It's, it's all just a wait and see situation. And Syracuse has guys that can fill the gaps. We saw it with Owen Seabold this year, stepping up into the role that the departed Scanlon left and, Filled it really well against Virginia. He added a different dynamic to that Syracuse offense with his ability to dodge from behind the cage and get to the front too, not just sort of stand there like Scanlon did and be a spot-up shooter. Seabold put a different dynamic in that Orange attack. But at the same time, the other guys that stepped in, and these, guys, these names might be foreign to you guys, and it's probably why you don't know them. Like a Mikey Berkman, or, like, a Matt Magnet. Like, these guys didn't make any sort of impact in their short time on the field, so I just wonder who steps in because there are a lot of unproven names on that sideline. John, last thing I want to touch on before we get to a break here, with the handling of the Scanlon thing, we have to talk about it, right? Because that's another large reason why Desco's credibility as a head coach is being questioned.
0: Yeah, and I don't, I mean... What do you what do you think, though? Because from my understanding, a lot of it was just he, he had to reinstate Chase Scanlon because of Title IX stuff. And then, obviously, the communication, the social stuff, really everything around the situation was handled so poorly by the athletic department. It's kind of embarrassing. Um, but at the end of the day, I don't think there's any kind of grounds for any kind of action there. The whole thing was just super um, mishandled, foggy, I guess we'll say. Open for uh, open-ended, open for interpretation. Just weird. I don't know.
1: I'm running out of adjectives here, Ian. What do you think? I, I like your mad libs there. You're just brainstorming smorgasbord of adjectives because I'm I'm with you. It w- was not handled well. There were so many different streams of information coming from different people, and it just let the rumor mill go wild. Syracuse should have put out a statement immediately, and they didn't. Uh, the players were the first people to really make a statement from Syracuse by refusing to practice. Like That was the first thing that came out of Syracuse, was the players saying, we're not practicing if Scanlon's at Manly Fieldhouse. The the athletic department should have stepped up quicker and released something. Because having inside lacrosse reporting on it first and having Twitter trolls all over the place is not the way to handle something like that. And then to have John Wildhack hold John Desco over the open spit and say, you're going to deal with this. You can have your SID and your press conference sort of saying, no, you're not going to answer that question. But it just makes you look even worse. So it, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Desco was hung out to dry, and it, it's his he, his statements didn't look good at all, but he, he was just between a rock and a hard place. You can't do anything in that situation besides just bite the bullet. Yeah, they don't really script you know domestic violence
0: abuse player getting suspended in the in the coaching itinerary but it's just kind of funny and all the press conferences they did if you so much as mentioned chase Scanlan, didn't didn't matter what the question was about you're getting shut down uh so that was kind of funny to monitor as the season winded down and really it's just it's just shame it really is because uh, you got to think that this situation in totality played some part some kind of role in syracuse's disappointing end of the season Um, so it just is what it is. And hopefully the orange, hopefully the athletic department learned a lesson one and two Syracuse can figure this problem out and come back next year, even stronger. I don't know what the, um, you know, what the situation with chase is and what his future
1: with lacrosse or, you know, life even is, but I guess we'll find out. I will say John Desco won the award for worst press conference of the year. And it it, it was not even close.
0: Well, oh, I mean, Bayheim's got an argument
1: for for that award, actually. Well, Bay, ba- at least Bayheim was entertaining. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. the, like, Jesco, Desco shut everybody down. Please refer to my opening statement. is a is a low key trending meme now as we transverse into the summer here. It's gonna be my senior quote. But, but that's gonna do it for. That's gonna do it for our lacrosse talk on Fizz Radio. We'll have the five star review. After the break, you're listening to Fizz Radio on the Score 1260. Yep, it's time for the five-star review where we on Fizz Radio talk about the latest Syracuse recruiting news and the prospects that could be headed to the Hill. John, we usually talk about football and basketball, kind of go like one and one each, even it out. And we already talked about Kyle Filipowski, but he's making his official visit to the Hill, actually started it yesterday, still is in Syracuse this weekend. Uh, We talked about Filipowski on a prior episode of Fizz Radio, but let's just do a quick little summary. What could Syracuse get with the four-star forward out of New York? They get a good
0: two-way player, and basically to keep it simple for the fans here, you get Marek Dolajai but a guy that can shoot the ball from beyond the arc and really everywhere on the floor. So that'd be a huge upgrade for Syracuse at that four spot.
1: Yeah, he's playing his summer ball, his AAU basketball with the New York Wrens and really standing out. He's having a heck of an AAU season from Wilbraham, Massachusetts, and he's also got a twin brother with some Ivy League offers. So both the Filipowski twins are making a name for themselves on the recruiting scene. John, one more thing I want to talk about in just reference to this whole thing because we're also going to talk about some football guys that will be headed to the 315 to see the campus. What does an official visit do for a prospect? Oh, it's huge
0: because you only get 5 official visits, right? You can uh, you can visit uh any college you want unofficially, but you have to pay for it, right? So if you agree to do an official visit on the school's dime, that's huge for the school. That lets them know that you're genuinely interested in the program, and they're obviously interested in you, and it gives you a chance to tour the school, get to talk to administrators, professors, get to see campus, and sometimes even go and experience a game day atmosphere. Now, when you go in the summer, you don't really get that, but usually when you visit in the summer, you try to hit a couple different schools at once or go to camps, so... Uh, it- It doesn't matter really if the official visit's in June or if it's in September. If you get a prospect to come on an official visit, when you get to have that one-on-one experience with them and show them what they're going
1: to be seeing and experiencing in college, that's huge. And that official visit in the summer maybe gives you more one-on-one time with a coach, maybe gives you some more time to tour the facilities. If the team's in there, you kind of have to stay out of the way as a prospect. Obviously, you want to interact with the guys, but you have to let the team do team things. Now, you can hop in the weight room by yourself, talk to the strength coaches, anything you really want in the summer. The coaching staff still on campus, so there will be plenty of opportunity for Kyle Filipowski to interact with the Syracuse basketball staff. But let's transition to our football prospects because, John, these are two guys on opposite coasts, but both with high, high ceilings and who would vastly improve Syracuse In the coming future, let's start with Jaleel Florence, a cornerback in California out of San Diego, goes to Lincoln High School, a four star on the 24 seven sports composite. The number 32 quarter cornerback, excuse me, out of California right now lists Michigan and Syracuse. Boy, do we have ourselves a little have ourselves a little conflict of interest here, but lists Michigan and Syracuse as his top two schools right now on 24 seven.
0: And uh, Damon Amendola are uh, the guy that runs the the Fizz site for Fizz Nation out there. He wrote an article uh, talking about Florence and his just some quotes on Michigan and on Syracuse. He's actually going to visit the Wolverines June 11th. And then two weeks later, he'll come to the 315 all the way from California, which is kind of crazy. He's going to, you know kind of spurn all those Pac-12 programs and come to this side of the country to visit a college. He's also got offers from Oregon and Washington, so he has options to stay home, but he's also kind of trying to look at places away from home. So Michigan and Syracuse, two to look at there, and Syracuse has a legitimate chance in this recruitment, And just like Jacoby Spells, who we'll get into in a second. The Orange got Deuce Chestnut last year. He was a three-slash-four-star corner and elite cornerback. If Syracuse can recruit any position on this team that's been successful, it's defensive back. So let's see if, uh, but perhaps Syracuse can steal another one from the West Coast.
1: And Syracuse keeps having success with these taller corners. Melifanwu standing at six two. Trill Williams also a six foot plus guy. I, I like what Dino Babers and his secondary staff are going after when they go offer these corner prospects, not the small dudes that can be get beat by a tight end, get beat by a bigger receiver. Both Florence and spells over six feet. John, watching the film. The first thing that stood out to me was Florence's speed, and he's a track star, too. Runs an 11-second 100-meter dash, and it really showed on the film.
0: Yeah, like you mentioned, Syracuse likes to recruit a specific type of cornerback, and Tony White does as well. And by the way, Florence and White have a special connection that's definitely helping in this recruitment. White is obviously Syracuse's defensive coordinator. So what what he lacks, what he has in size, he doesn't lack in speed. Like you said, he's an 11-second 100-meter track guy, which is pretty much where you want to be if you're an athlete. And watching the film, he's also a playmaker. This guy has a nose for the football. I saw a scoop and score play. I saw him pick up another fumble. I saw him force a fumble in special teams. Syracuse has caught the third most uh, interceptions in the past three seasons. In all of college football, right? So bringing in guys that have a nose for the ball and like to make plays and cause turnovers, that's just prototypical Syracuse defense, and this guy seems to fit
1: the mold. Only thing about Florence that I worried about just a little bit is he gambled a bit too much, used his speed to sort of make up for that, got beat on some double moves, and actually put those in his highlight tape. However, the recovery speed is impressive. And so you can teach those early technique things because natural athleticism always is going to pay off.
0: Yeah, and he said he, he wants to play in a heavy man-to-man system because he thinks he fits the mold of playing that. And obviously, Michigan defensively does that, and so does Syracuse. But the Orange kind of like to use their corners in a lot of different ways. Zone, man, blitz. So I think he's an all-around corner. He could be a good fit for the Orange.
1: All right, let's go from West Coast to East Coast with Jacoby Spells, another four-star corner out of American Heritage High School in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Uh, He's got a crystal ball to Miami, but it feels like every single prospect coming out of the Sunshine State has a crystal ball to Miami, so we're going to go ahead and throw that out the window. Indiana, Miami, Syracuse, and West Virginia all listed as warm on 24-7. John, what do you like from Spells? I
0: like a lot. I mean, we talk about how Florence is fast. Well, Spells is even faster. He runs a 10-7-9 hundred-yard dash, and on the film, that really shows up. This guy likes to get involved. He likes to get his hands dirty. He's actually also a former receiver and that actually helps him out playing corner because he's more aggressive in those 50-50 ball situations and he plays at American Heritage in Florida so he's playing against the top competition and on the scouting report on 247 sports they have him as a they have him pegged as a round 4 to 7 pick potentially and his speed is a 10 out of 10 so um, even if he is kind of raw at the cornerback spot you'll gamble on that speed and athleticism
1: he's a guy that's going to get a lot of opportunities to defend passes, because across from him at American Heritage is Earl Little Jr., one of the best cornerbacks in the entire nation. So Spells might be that guy that gets picked on, but I think that's a positive because, as you said, not a ton of experience playing at the cornerback spot, but I think that receiver experience helps a lot because he reads routes really well. He breaks on the ball extremely well, and he can lay the boom. That's, he's not afraid, as you said, to get in there and lower his shoulder. So I, I like what I see from Spells, honestly, even more than what I see from Florence. I'd make Spells priority number one, although his recruitment might be a bit tougher with those SEC schools starting to trickle in.
0: Yeah, but Syracuse, like we said before, has gone into California, they've gone into Florida before, and they've taken big prospects out of those states, like Latari Kinsler, uh, out of Pahokee, I think of a lot of different players that Syracuse has stolen from those states in the past couple years, because they can promise more playing time, they can't really promise it, but you can, you know, if you're a four-star corner, you're Jacoby Spells, you can infer, you're probably going to get chances at early playing time, you're probably going to get a chance to start and play as a freshman, like Deuce Chestnut might be able to do this year. So, if, if I'm Syracuse, like you said, Uh, These guys are both high priorities, but I think Spells is one and Florence is two, CB1 and CB2 in this recruiting uh, class.
1: Certainly not bad priorities to have if you're Dino Babers. So Jaleel Florence and Jacoby Spells are our football prospects to watch. Florence is heading to the Syracuse campus in just a couple of days, and Kyle Filipowski on site as a basketball recruit for Jim Bay Hyman Company. That'll do it for the Fizz 5-Star Review. We're taking you home with Fizz Feedback after the break. We're wrapping it up here on Fizz Radio. Ian Unsworth and John Eads with you for one last time, and it's time for everybody's favorite segment, Fizz Feedback, where we post three Twitter polls on the blue bird at orange fizz and you guys get your chance to re- vote reply respond give us your takes on our opinions so first fizz feedback question john i'm going to quiz you this week now that coach williams and coach k have retired and or slash are planning to retire when do you think coach beheim steps away from syracuse is it a after 2021 22 B after twenty two twenty three. C, whenever his sons leave, or D, other.
0: I gotta admit, I, I made these answers and this is pretty stupid because whenever his sons leave would technically be twenty twenty two-twenty three, right? If if Jim or if Jimmy's done and then Buddy's done after you know senior year and two years. So I'll go whenever his sons leave. Really can't go wrong with that one.
1: Fifty percent of Fizz Nation agrees with you. Whenever Jim Beheim's sons leave the hill, so will the legend, Jimmy B. I, I would say that's a very accurate assessment. We got one vote for other, or we got 5% of a vote for other. I I I think other believes Coach Beheim's just going to immortalize himself at Syracuse history. And, like, he drank from the fountain of youth. Whatever it is, it's like, you know, the Sith Lord in Star Wars? Like, it doesn't matter. Coach Beheim might retire, but he'll just have some voice speaking to GMAC, and it's just going to keep going like that. All right. Next poll: Do you think that the Syracuse men's lacrosse team needs a change in leadership? Yes, no, or can't decide. I'd say
0: no. Um, change in leadership in terms of the head coach? No. You and I discussed perhaps defensive coordinator. I also think no. So I'm going to go no across the board. All right, you were
1: way off on this one, and I'm not going to lie. I I know I'm going to be way off on this one because people are irrational. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I voted no on this poll. I distinctly remember clicking it. But you and I are in just 13% of Fizz Nation that thinks John Desco should remain the head coach of Syracuse Lacrosse. 80% of Fizz Nation says Desco should be out the door. And 7% couldn't decide. What say you? What say me is
0: that he's one of the most legendary coaches in the program just because he has won offseason, which he made the NCAA tournament. He beat the national championship team twice. Like that's a down year, quote unquote. I understand this was supposed to be the best team in the country. They came into the year number one and all that good stuff. But like rankings don't determine the national champion. If they did, the season wouldn't even be played. Right. So it was a bad year. It's not a trend. It's an outlier. That's what I say right now. I'm putting my stamp on that, and uh, we'll be back next year. You realize there
1: have only been four coaches in the history of Syracuse men's lacrosse, right? Right. So you know, one bad year, people are like, "Oh my God!" All right. So, sticking with the lacrosse and uh, and basketball theme of the theme of the hour here, which SU athletic team will win the school's next national championship? Men's basketball. Wax, mullax. If you could decode what I just said, you, you could probably understand it or is it is it some other team um, I would assume probably a non-rev sport, not football I, we could we can we could stamp that right now it's not going to be football. I was thinking about maybe penciling <laughs> in right, 11 wins this year. Were... <laughs> all, right, all right man we, I know you're a cockeyed optimist over there but like relax which, which team is winning Syracuse's next national championship? Well, I got to say the
0: rowing team did pretty well this year. They came in like fourth, I think. Um, but I'm not going to go with rowing. I'm going women's lacrosse. I think in the next four years, by the time you or I graduate, I think this Syracuse women's lacrosse team is going to take the uh, take the crown.
1: I'd really hope so. It's, it's about time for Gary Gate to get a ring. And that was a name I saw randomly thrown around as the next head coach of Syracuse men's lacrosse on Twitter. I will say someone was like, can Gate coach both teams? I mean, it's
0: women's lacrosse and men's lacrosse. Like, you and I have both, like, watched it for hours. It's so different. The offense, it's so different. I don't know. He would be running a zone defense and then just running a
1: three-man, four-man weave across. You know, it would be nuts. Maybe it could work. I mean, Gate, Gate is, he's he's a legend, though, regardless. That's all the time we have today on Fizz Radio. For John Eats, I've been Ian Unsworth. Thank you so much for tuning in. And we'll see you around next week with Matt Bonaparte, the new permanent host of Fizz Radio.